Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am here with Scott Clark. Scott is co-founder and CEO of SIGOPT. SIGOPT is a longtime friend of the podcast and a founding sponsor of our recent conference, TwimmelCon AI Platforms. Scott, welcome to the Twimmel DemoCast. Thanks so much, Sam. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Uh, so let's just jump right in. Uh, you not only are, uh, you know, not only are you such a great friend of the show, but you've been on the show. I think you will, this is your third time on the podcast. And uh, I think you are the first person to make it to three. So welcome. Oh, uh, <laughs> always optimizing. Exactly, exactly. So this is uh, something new for us. Uh, we call it a demo cast and it is an interview. We will be kind of going back and forth, but ultimately we will get to a demo. Will it be a live demo, Scott? It will be a live demo with random data. So we'll see how well it goes. <laughs> All right. So, and we, it will not be too long before we jump into that demo, but uh, before we do, uh, refresh us on uh, your background and uh, what SIGOPT is up to. Yeah, so uh, I'm co-founder and CEO of SIGOPT. Um, studied a bunch of different uh, optimization techniques in grad school. Um, applied that in different uh, settings in industry, uh, culminating in writing some open source called the Metric Optimization Engine while I was at Yelp. Um, and then about five years ago, I took some of uh, what I learned from writing that open source some of the needs I saw in the industry around having better ways to do experimentation and optimization for modeling um, and founded SIGOPT. And that's what we do today. We provide software tools um, that really enable modelers to augment their workflow, whatever it may be, to get the most out of the experimentation and optimization that goes into building good differentiated models. Uh, you, uh, as I mentioned, were a founding sponsor of the Tumulcon AI platforms. Talk to us a little bit about where the company fits in the stack that enterprises are standing up to uh, deliver models in production in scale and why that whole idea of platforms is important to you. Definitely. So what we're seeing is as firms start to invest more in differentiated modeling, where they're applying some domain expertise, context awareness, unique models, unique data, whatever it may be, they're wanting to really leverage the expertise they have in-house and are hiring in-house. Um, and that requires customized tools in some areas. It requires flexibility in others. And the platforms that we're seeing built up at some of our customers, whether that's uh, leading credit card firms, uh, the world's largest streaming service, the US intelligence community, top algorithmic trading firms, et cetera, is it's all about enabling that expert. And so we sit in the middle of these uh, applied differentiated modeling platforms by allowing the user to do world-class experimentation and optimization on models, regardless of what those models are, regardless of what hardware they're being run on, and regardless of what the end application or uh, starting data actually is. So we're seeing massive investments in, in a wide variety of different areas here, um, and our goal is to be this agnostic uh, tool that sits in the middle that allows you to standardize on experimentation without constraining your uh, experts in any other way. Okay, and you're 
presentation at the the Tumulcon was focused on kind of your experiences or or what your customers' experiences are, what you've learned from your customers' experience in terms of like how to put a platform together. And in particular, you had this really interesting, I thought, kind of take on buy versus build. And it wasn't like, do you buy versus build the platform? It's like, you're going to pull this thing together from multiple components. Where do you buy and where do you build and how do you make that decision? Can you give us a, a snapshot of the learnings that you brought to that presentation? Definitely. So um, again, it's important to build where you have some edge over the rest of the world. And that could be uh, expert knowledge, that could be bespoke requirements. Um, that's something where you uniquely can attack the problem. Um, and a lot of times for our customers that lives at the data preparation, um, the ETL layer, um, uh, high frequency or market making firms um, for our algorithmic trading customers look very different from mid frequency firms that look very different from a credit card fraud team, looks very different than a streaming service, et cetera. So there's a lot of unique requirements, needs and application specific um, uh, expertise that goes into building a good data pipeline. At the back end of the system as well, deployment is another kind of very custom bespoke need that's very application specific. Whether again, it's high frequency trading versus uh, large streaming services versus um, fraud detection at the edge versus uh, uh, some sort of predictive maintenance. All of these have different needs, different requirements, different constraints, et cetera. So we often see a lot of firms building and applying that, uh, those core custom requirements at the edge, but then at the beginning, the game flips and it's all about flexibility. It's all about leveraging um, really robust and standardized open source, but understanding where there might be trade-offs in uh, more academic approaches, where there may be trade-offs where you can take something off the shelf to help augment your experts without necessarily forcing them into a constraining box. Um, so customization at the end, flexibility in the middle, um, and then really leveraging tools to make sure that those experts that are building those custom tools that in that flexible environment get the most out of them, uh, utilize their compute as well as possible, utilize their domain expertise as well as possible, and ultimately get to the most performant and high impact models. And so presumably that <clears throat> space is where the SIGOP tool fits. Exactly. So we sit in the very middle of the stack here, uh, as you can see in this slide, kind of between where you're going to be developing uh, the actual code for models, these kind of differentiated uh, bespoke models where you're applying domain expertise, context awareness, et cetera. Um, and we'll bolt on top and help you tune and experiment with all of the different configuration parameters and choices that go into making these models as performant as possible not touching the underlying data, um, agnostic to the end application and the hardware layer it's running on, but really making sure that you get the very best version of this model that accomplishes whatever you're trying to achieve. Yeah, one of the things that, yeah, I think about over the past, uh, that's kind of characterized the past year to two years in this space is there's a lot more conversation about, you know, things like automate, auto ML, automating, you know, data science, uh, and, you know, to some extent kind of automating hyperparameter tuning as well. Um, you know, so it's, you know, unlike three years ago, it's something that is on our minds now. It's something that we're talking about. What 
do people need to be thinking about uh, in this space and, and when they are you know, thinking about trying to drive some degree of automation into their model development and experimentation pipelines? Definitely. So we've seen the rise of this over the last five years. I remember being kind of the heretic at NeurIPS and ICML yelling that you should tune your hyperparameters and your architectures and, and things like that. Um, one thing that people have really uh, realized over the course of the last five years, though, is a lot of the foundation and low-hanging fruit required just to produce models um, is now kind of coming into place. People are building these platforms, and they're looking to, for these additive boosts to those investments that they've already made. But there's a lot of uh, things that go into making a good experimentation and optimization platform. A lot of trade-offs that we've learned by taking the state of the art from the academic literature, advancing it with our full-time research staff, but really building an enterprise solution to this problem as well to service our customers around the world with a, a diversity of needs. Um, and that comes around making sure that this process is reproducible, that you're, you can share the results, that you can collaborate, that you don't need to reinvent the wheel every single time you need to do experimentation. It comes to algorithmic efficiency. Instead of just taking a single path through the academic literature and pulling down open source that was written to do research, um, by taking our patented peer-reviewed uh, approach to the, the problem, you can get results an order of magnitude or more faster, get better results out of the system. And when outcomes really matter, whether that's in algorithmic trading, whether that's in fraud detection, whether that's in a recommender system, um, every little bit that you can additively squeeze out of the model on top of the investments you've already made really matters. And then finally, we've made this massive investment into making sure that this is a reliable platform. Many firms with billion dollar models in production rely on us in order to make sure that they get the best possible results. So this is about having a stable system that can really attack the full volume, variety, and complexity of their experimentation and optimization needs um, with a full-time staff uh, backing it up as well, too. So it's shining light on this otherwise opaque problem, uh, focusing on it and doing it extremely well with a best-in-class uh, algorithmic solution, but also doing it with an enterprise focus to make sure you're not just taking an optimizer problem, uh, an optimization problem, and turning it into an optimizer problem but you're taking an optimization problem and just solving it. So you started out talking about reproducibility. Um, uh, a big aspect of that, that uh, like automation is starting it to um, gain more visibility in the industry. Uh, but then there's this whole kind of underbelly of that, which is the ML ops and like versioning your models and stuff like that. Do, is that something that you see your customers worrying about as well? Definitely. Um, what we've heard from a lot of different firms is when it comes to experimentation, oftentimes that's brushed under the rug uh, on the tooling side. So it's things where people might be checking in code while they're developing uh, a model, but then they'll go off and tune it or play with it or, or, or experiment with it. Um, and more often than not, that might mean a brute force grid search or random search or random search variants like hyperband. It might mean a manual search, trying to do high dimensional optimization in your head. But more often than not, it actually means um, only the, the, the best answers get checked in at the end. You end up with these config files with a bunch of magic numbers in them with no history of what was tried, why it was tried, insights gained along the way, um, 
different kind of iterations of experiments, et cetera. Why and do so, I need the history of all the bad things that I did? So you know next time you come to that problem, what you should avoid, where you should start, um, how you can get to that best solution faster, um, or if you're in a regulated industry, so you can replay that experiment and say, this is exactly how I got to this learning rate, this number of estimators, um, this max depth of my trees or whatever it may be. Um, and these are all the different metrics that I tracked. Here are the different trade-offs that I made. Um, and ultimately that can help a junior data scientist get up and running very quickly, but it can also um, make sure that a, uh, a senior one can reproduce their work um, for the next project that they have. And so is, it, is that history primarily for humans, you know, whether regula regulators or the junior data scientists, or does the history, you know, my, the history of my, you know, building and, and training a model A inform somehow the optimization of model B? Like, can the machines also use that history? Definitely. So uh, we have a handful of advanced features that we've developed over the last five years of doing really applied uh, model experimentation and optimization. Um, one of them is this concept of being able to transfer knowledge about similar tasks in order to bootstrap another tuning problem. Um, so you could imagine if the data changes very slightly in a fraud detection setting or an algorithmic trading setting or whatever it may be, you might want to be able to, to bootstrap off of that prior information that you've gained in order to solve this new problem a little bit faster. So that can happen at the insight level with uh, experts, and I'll show you what that looks like in the live demo. It could also potentially happen at that more automated level um, to make sure that, again, that wall clock time, that compute time is, is used as efficiently as possible. And a lot of that goes into that core optimization engine, which I have here is the middle pillar of our, our product suite, um, making sure again that for any of the applied optimization problems you have in the real world, um, we're taking the best of the best of the academic literature, putting it behind a simple interface, but allowing you to solve your problems instead of having to become an expert in the research to even phrase them in a specific way. Okay. Uh, did someone say live demo? <laughs> <laughs> Yep, coming up here uh, in a second, um, it might be worth kind of uh, going over the interaction diagram at a more visual level before I dive into the actual uh, code. Um, but basically the way that SIGOPT bolts on top of these underlying uh, machine learning algorithms, algorithmic trading strategies, recommendation systems, self-driving car algorithms, whatever it may be, is by interacting at the configuration layer. So every machine learning algorithm, every deep learning algorithm, every reinforcement learning algorithm, every model has configuration parameters. You can call them hyperparameters, architecture parameters, feature embedding parameters, configuration parameters, whatever it may be. But what SIGOP does is it takes in all of the information about what you can tune about that system. It provides suggestions for what to try and evaluate. You report back some metric or set of metrics that you care about. We learn from that to suggest the next thing to try and repeat. And what we're doing is we're querying this underlying model of yours, trying different configurations, learning how well they perform, trading off exploration, learning more about the, that space, and exploitation, exploiting that knowledge to drive you to better and better results to ultimately get you to that best configuration as efficiently as possible. And this can happen in sequentially, it can happen in parallel, it can happen with single metrics or multiple metrics, small parameter spaces, large parameter spaces. But at the end of the day, the goal is just to bolt on top of whatever you have, 
from a simple XGBoost model and scikit-learn to an extremely complex neural network for a, a recommendation system or self-driving car task or whatever it may be, and help you get this additive boost on top of everything that you've done on the data side, the modeling side, and the evaluation side. So basically, as a, a user, I need to tell the SIGOP tool how to, uh, how to optimize my model. I need to give it ex access to whatever parameters my model or my system cares about. And then SIGOP kind of does its thing and uh, optimizes it and tells me what those optimal parameters are. Yeah. You tell us all the knobs and levers you have. We'll tell you specific settings for those knobs and levers. You tell us how well they did. We'll give you new settings and repeat. And at the end, what you have is this optimal set of settings that then gets you to the most performant version of your model, however you define that. And so in order to get to that, am I, do I have to change my code? Am I wrapping it? I see REST API. Do I have to wrap my model in some kind of REST API or are there different ways to go about it? Great question. And I think that's a great segue into <laughs> live code example. So um, what I'll do here is I'll run through a simple IPython notebook that I coded up right before this, uh, this interview based off of some work that um, some of our team did. Um, no and pressure. Be able to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to generate a synthetic data set, uh, apply a standard classification algorithm to it, in this case, XGBoost. Um, I'll show kind of why this is a difficult problem. I'll optimize it with SIGOPT and then uh, show an extension of how we might go about this kind of iterative experimentation to ultimately drive to the best possible business outcome. So uh, this is a fresh uh, notebook here. Um, so I'm gonna load up a bunch of stuff in Pandas and Scikit-Learn and Matplotlib. I'm gonna generate a synthetic data set uh, using a handful of the synthetic data set creation uh, tools. Um, that are available within um, Scikit-Learn around making Swiss rolls and Moon's data sets and things like that. Basically, what we have is, is this. Is Swiss roll a, a technical term, or are we talking about like baked goods here? <laughs> I've so, not uh, seen that data set before. <laughs> it is a uh, technical uh, uh, data set that looks like the baked goods. So you can imagine two different classes that kind of spiral into each other where you ah, wouldn't necessarily it. be able to make a, a good linear discriminant between them. Got it. So because you can't make it a good linear... It just made me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> this is delicious data here. Um, what you can see here is this kind of spread of different data points. Um, it, it might be hard to visually decide what makes sense. It's in three dimensions. Uh, how does yellow differ from green or teal or whatever it may be? Um, and again, because there's not a great, like obvious linear discriminant here, something like a, a linear classification or an SVM uh, or something like that might not be a great uh, example, but there is structure to this data. So what we're gonna do um, is break it into a training and test data set. Uh, and we're just gonna throw XGBoost at it. So uh, using the softmax, uh, uh, um, actual objective function in this case, since we have a, a multi, class classification problem. Um, Not a lot well, of customization here of the hyperparameters or... Exactly. This is what happens when you have a data set and you take something off the shelf and you throw it at it. So imagine this is the AutoML solution. Um, 
there are a bunch of hyperparameters in there, as you see when I kind of hover over this. Um, That's a bit of a raw stab at AutoML. <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes a lot of sense when you need fast answers and you need commodity, just very quick um, off-the-shelf answers. Um, it doesn't make as much sense when your business depends on it and you need to differentiate yourself in some way and apply some domain expertise. Uh, that um, may be true. I think, though, that AutoML might... If AutoML could respond, it would say it's not just default hyperparameters. It's a process that gets you to some kind of optimization that's better than default, right? Yeah, yeah. So some of it, it's brute forcing uh, parameter uh, 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 feature transformation. Some of it's brute forcing different algorithms. Some of it's brute forcing different hyperparameters. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, what we see for a lot of our customers is they need to apply something special to the data. Um, just random max min uh, uh, feature uh, generation doesn't necessarily make sense to them. Um, they might want to apply a very specific model to the problem, so an off-the-shelf uh, method might not work. They might have very specific um, objective metrics beyond just academic ones like accuracy or whatever it may be. Um, and so that's usually where we come into play for these more differentiated higher value models that you would apply a machine learning engineer to as opposed to a business analyst. Got it. What we see here though is that XGBoost has a lot of tunable hyperparameters. Um, so I have the default ones here for max depth, learning rate, um, number of estimators, uh, call sample by tree and men child weight. What we saw was that the default set got 0.525 so if we were trying to do this by hand, trying to do five-dimensional optimization by hand, we might do something like, oh, what happens when I change this to 200? Okay, that didn't have any effect at all. What happens when I change this to 0.15? Oh, that made it a little bit better. Um, what happens when I change this to 0.9? It didn't have any effect. All right, going up didn't help. So maybe if I go down, okay, that made it worse. You can Doesn't see it put how, you in like the top 10% of the, the universe to only change one thing at a time and see what its impact is as opposed to changing a bunch of stuff? <laughs> yeah, so what you'll see is by doing it one at a time, we're not actually getting that much information. This might not be a locally yeah. convex problem. Um, it's a five-dimensional problem. None of this is being recorded. Um, maybe I'll stop here and say, hey, I did better than the, uh, the defaults. I'm just going to check this into production. I tried it six times. Um, what, what can you do? Um, so this is where SIGOPT comes in. So instead of doing it by hand, which we just saw um, five-dimensional optimization is very difficult to do by hand, even one parameter at a time, um, instead of brute forcing this with something like a grid search, or even if I only looked at 10 parameters per dimension, that would be 100,000 different things I would have to try, we're going to try SIGOPT's ensemble of Bayesian and global optimization techniques. So what we'll do is install SIGOPT. Um, looks like we're already in Google Collab. Um, I'm going to use this uh, API token that I generated for this podcast, and I'm going to destroy immediately afterwards. <laughs> um, and we're going to create an experiment. So first thing is we need some way to be able to um, evaluate uh, different configurations that we want to attempt. So what we're going to do is we're going to take that XGBoost classifier, and instead of having constants here, we're going to allow SIGOPT to uh, modify them as we go. Um, so you see we're modifying these five things. We didn't end up doing this one. Um, and at the end of the day, it's just going to return the model, and then evaluating it will just return the accuracy. Um, 
So within SIGOPT, what we want to be able to do is basically- so Again, this is just going back to the previous conversation. These are the two things that you said we needed to do, like give you a way to manipulate the model parameters and tell you how we're doing with each, uh, with each step. Exactly. So create model here is going to uh, generate a model. That's this step here in the upper right. And then evaluate model, in this case, is going to just return an accuracy score. Um, but this could be something more complex, like run through a, a back test of the uh, equities market and return a sharp ratio. It could be um, evaluate a reinforcement learning algorithm through some, uh, some synthetic uh, test environment. It could be whatever it is that's actually what you're trying to achieve with this model. Um, in this case, it's just returning accuracy, and that corresponds to just evaluating the model here. So we've generated synthetic data. We have a way to build a model and we have a way to evaluate the model. So now we need to tell SIGOP what to train and go through this for loop. And you, so, you, you glossed over uh, a couple of words that are pretty important, I believe, to the way you do this, Bayesian optimization. Uh, what's the, give us a, an overview of that and how it differs from some of the other things that you mentioned. You mentioned grid search, uh, random search is another strategy. What's Definitely. It? Let me let me fire off this experiment. And while it's running, I expect it'll only <laughs> take a couple of minutes. I'll, I'll okay. dive through that. Um, okay. So first, again, we want to define the space that we can search over. In this case, we're taking those five hyperparameters that I was manually tweaking before, um, and we're going to search over them. So some of them are continuous parameters. Some of them are integer parameters. Um, SIGOP can also handle uh, categorical parameters. Um, uh, you can ha handle constraints or conditional parameters, but basically any way you can define the problem that you're trying to tune. But these are the knobs and levers that we can set. Mm -hmm. And just an observation, while this may look at first glance like setting up a grid, you're not giving a step. You're not. Exactly. You're just so setting in, the bounds. Exactly. So you're going to set the edges of what would be a grid, but instead of blindly searching through that in lockstep, we're going to learn from every parameter to decide what's the most intelligent next thing to sample. And that's really what Bayesian optimization does is trading off exploration of that parameter space with exploitation of the knowledge that we already have to drive you to better and better performance instead of just blindly stepping along a grid or randomly just hoping you get lucky and throwing out all historical information you might have. Got it. Uh, for this specific experiment, uh, I'm going to show what it means to have put in a baseline because we already did the default here that got that 0.525 uh, parameter. So might as well give that to SIGOPT. We can leverage any historical information you already have about the model. Um, if you've already run a grid yourself, already tuned and tweaked things, uh, one of the joys of Bayesian optimization is we don't make a hard assumption that we came up with every suggestion ourselves. You can interleave us. You can bring your own optimizer. Um, we play well with others. So in this case, we're going to set this baseline that we know we have to beat because this is what happens when you just pull it off the shelf. And then we're going to go through this optimization feedback loop where we get a suggestion from SIGOPT. Um, we evaluate how well it did in that uh, function we set up before. Um, we tell SIGOPT how well it did and then repeat. Um, so what I'll do is I'll kick that off. I'll jump over um, again here. We define the configuration space, we try something, we tell us how well it did and repeat. What that looks like on our dashboard here is there's a fresh experiment, XGBoost examples. 
It has done 32 observations thus far. We've taken that 0.525. It was able to quickly get up to what I did by just kind of tooling around in one dimension. You can see it's already actually found a significantly better result here at 60% accuracy, something that I might not have naturally done by doing one at a time because you see it's kind of uh, modified a handful of different things here. You wouldn't have set that learning rate out to 15 decimal places? <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, grid search would have also not done that as well. You probably would have aliased over the actual Optima here. What we mm -hmm. see here, though, is it's continuing to improve as it learns more about that space. It's finding regions that make more sense to sample. Um, we can see in multiple dimensions what that looks like. You can see, we can see for this specific randomized data set, max depth and log learning rate tend to be the more important parameters. Um, we can see that in certain uh, cases, we might be brushing up against the edge of the parameter space. So you can see call sample by tree, all the good solutions are near one. So not a very important parameter because of that. It's a very obvious what, what you should do. Um, so if I ran another experiment, maybe I would cut that one out. Um, but at the end of the day, we've taken that model that uh, it took me a little while to, to, to try to just play around with to get to 0.55% accuracy, and we got it to 0.65. Um, we can see exactly what was tried um, here. We can manually add suggestions if we want to do a refined grid search or perturbation analysis after the fact. Um, but at the end of the day, you could check into production. This was the configuration that got me the best result. Here's how I got there. Here's why. Now it's reproducible. The next person that comes to play with a, an XGBoost example can learn from this and maybe start where you left off, refining that parameter space, whatever it may be. One of the things that you had in the notebook uh, was your, essentially your optimization budget, which looked like it was the number of uh, trials you are afforded. How do you know how to set that? And are there other ways to set that in terms of, you know, can you use more abstract metrics like, uh, like a compute budget on AWS, for example, or something like that? Yeah. So, um, we provide guidance based off of the dimensionality of the parameter space, the types of parameters you're running, some of the advanced features that you might be using, like parallelism or multi-metric optimization. Loosely, though, it's linear uh, with the dimensionality of the parameter space based off of uh, large empirical studies that we've done. Um, and what we end up seeing is, uh, again, somewhere between 10 and 20 times the dimensionality of the parameter space is usually pretty good, especially for these simple machine learning algorithms. Okay. So we took something that would be 100,000 uh, parameters in a grid search, and we've taken it down to 100 different parameters that we've tried here. But I'll show a quick example um, that might show just kind of the iterative nature a lot of our customers go through with our, our tool. Um, that will expand uh, the number of uh, parameters we end up needing to do. So right. let's say I looked at this experiment and I saw, okay, I got 65% accuracy, that's pretty good. Um, but now my boss came and told me that the model's too big, it's not explainable enough, uh, you have too many estimators, um, you need it to be smaller. And I say, well, you want it to be the best model possible, right? I got 65% at 74, and they're like, no, I, I wanna understand how you make those trade-offs. So you could potentially just drop down here and get them the next lowest thing. But what SIGOPT allows you to do is explicitly encode that into the search. So now we take the exact same experiment we had before, where we're tuning the same things, um, 
in this case, maybe we're going to delete call sample by tree because um, that didn't have uh, very much effect on the, uh, the end results as we saw from that analysis. Again, this was randomized data, so I wasn't sure which one might matter, which one might not matter. Do you but have we're to gonna... then ex explicitly set it to one or the starting place to one, or is it that just going to be figured out somewhere? Uh, yeah, so XGBoost has default, uh, default keyword args, and so it'll just go back to the default. Got it. And in this case, my observation budget, instead of being five dimensions times 20, um, I'm going to switch it down to four because we've limited the size of the space. I am going to add this multiple of three, though, because I'm not just going to be optimizing the uh, softmax objective metric, but I'm also going to be minimizing the number of estimators. So I want SIGOP to make this efficient trade-off between these two things. Find me the best thing you can, but with the fewest possible estimators. And instead of getting a single answer, I'm going to want a Pareto frontier of these trade-offs. The rest of the code is identical. Um, you're just giving it two values instead of one. But this is very powerful in helping you make that business trade-off. And so what we'll do is we'll go ahead and kick this off. We oh, did need to set it to one back up here. <laughs> This is the joy of live coding. Sam was correct. Sam, I'm going to have you do my code reviews from now on. Because while XGBoost allows it to happen. Was, I think that was the wrong place. You deleted it from the place that you needed to set it to one. All right. I'm just going to stop being clever uh, and put it back in down here. We'll search over it anyway. Because I'm pretty sure this should work because it's just a modification. I'm getting what we did before. So jumping back to um, our experiment dashboard here, we'll go back. We'll see that now that there are two experiments created, um, including this one that is not necessarily giving us that best seen trace as we saw before, mm -hmm. but now it's giving us this Pareto frontier of trade-offs between the number of estimators. In this case, it found something with only a single estimator getting us 0.525, um, as well as this one that got 65%, uh, 65 estimators getting us 0.575. Um, it's, it's trying to optimize these two things simultaneously. And as we let this kind of run for a few more seconds, what we'll see is um, from the business use case, um, there's these trade-offs that you may be willing to make and other things that you might be willing to track. Like I want to see how different uh, depths and different learning rates uh, affect these individual parameters that I'm caring about and which ones lie along this Pareto frontier. I want to see um, for different individual um, uh, metrics. Obviously, the number of estimators is a huge importance for the number of estimators uh, metric, and it doesn't really matter for the others, whereas min-child weight for this, uh, this multi-metric experiment ends up being uh, the most important metric uh, for the softmax. And as we let this run a little bit longer, um, as I said before, we multiplied by three uh, to, to really show that instead of getting a single answer, what we want is this Pareto frontier of trade-offs. We're finding um, similar results to what we saw before, um, but allowing us to, again, say, how exactly do we want to make that trade-off between the size of the model, where we could get a micro model that actually does pretty well, or one that's 63 times larger and does a little bit better um, really allowing us to make that trade-off. We see this happen all the time for more real-world examples between things like memory size, uh, power consumption, inference time, uh, versus a accuracy metric um, like uh, 
log loss or whatever the actual business is. So it's a good thing you want to maximize and a bad thing you want to minimize, but you don't necessarily know what that trade-off is ahead of time and can't do a, a normalized composite objective function. You want to be able to say, um, I'm going to pick this one out and, and use that. And again, this is where that really matters to have that system of record of experimentation because you can say, tried this first on one metric, then I decided I wanted to uh, minimize uh, things, and then I selected this specific point. Um, and again, it, it creates this uh, trail for people to follow behind you if they want to do a similar problem mm -hmm. that would otherwise be lost if you were cobbling together open source or uh, brute forcing this or doing this manually. And you can nice. see we're getting to the end of this one here. Um, took a few more minutes because we went up to 300 observations, um, but it did get us these uh, these interesting results where we got up to 60% accuracy with 11 estimators, mm -hmm. uh, back up to that 65% accuracy we saw before with 63 estimators, which was less than we, we had previously. Um, and we can really then go back to our boss and say, okay, you wanted it to be smaller. How small is good enough? How much of a trade-off do you want to make? Apply that domain expertise and contextual awareness to select whatever point that you actually want to put into production and be able to say, this is exactly what we're running with in, in uh, the actual use case. Nice, nice. Uh, you mentioned uh, being able to apply the same kind of process to uh, not just the model parameters, but things like memory and power consumption and, and things like that. When you're doing that, where does that information come from? Is that more, is more complicated to expose those uh, types of uh, metrics to SIGOPT? No, so if you can uh, calculate it, you can give it to SIGOPT. So here, um, we're getting How the soft How do you calculate power consumption, for example? Uh, so you probably have some sort of simulator um, that allows you to see, okay. um, or an emulator on, on a specific device, or you might know, given a specific power, uh, a specific parameter set, there might be one evaluation metric that gives you accuracy, and one that tells you memory footprint or power consumption or whatever it may be. For power. Exactly. Got it. Okay. What we Got find it. with a lot of our customers is there's usually not just one thing that they care about, mm -hmm. but there's many things. There might be one thing like money that they really care about, but there's many things that they look at, many different trade-offs that they make. They might not just blindly go for that best possible academic metric, which again, um, certain more automated systems might do. Um, and they're applying that domain expertise to make different trade-offs. And what SIGOPT allows them to do is optimize multiple metrics, set thresholds on multiple metrics, um, really make sure that you're looking at this whole process holistically, gaining the insights you need to be able to decide what to do next, but have a system of record for doing it and have a powerful tool for being able to achieve those goals. And uh, we're continuing to uh, develop more and more tools in this space um, this was multi-metric, but I hinted at others like uh, uh, thresholds, being able to store many metrics, uh, and and more and more that we're developing all the time. Are there any other parts to the, to the demo? Uh, so that's the live demo there. We do uh, kind of go into more detail about some of those more advanced features, um, things that allow you to kind of extend this to uh, different types of problems, whether it's uh, deep learning systems where you might be able to track things as they go, um, problems where you might be able to break it into smaller uh, chunks, problems where you might be able to leverage parallelism. Um, we'll pass on some, uh, some links to some of this, and we go much more detail in our blogs or our blogs with our um, uh, 
partners or some of the academic uh, work that we publish at workshops at ICML, NeurIPS, and things like that. All of this is available um, at sigop.com um, slash research or sigop.com slash resources. If you had to name three things that uh, folks need to think about differently to kind of get most advantage of uh, a tool like this, or I don't know if it extends generally to AutoML or, or other types of other aspects of the platform, AI platform stack. How, how do uh, folks need to think, change their thinking to take advantage of tools like this? Great question. Um, so there's really three areas where this can be you applied. you got a slide for everything. <laughs> <laughs> There's really three you're, you're areas. You're going to make folks think I'm just like sitting here throwing you softballs, and that is not the case. <laughs> or maybe it is the case. It's not the intent. <laughs> no, no, no. So we, 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 we've done this many times with many different firms. Uh, many people who are familiar with the field, like yourself, ask very similar questions. Um, I think a lot of what our customers get out of us, actually, is the expertise to help them with questions like you just asked. Um, We've been doing applied real-world uh, optimization and experimentation with some of the leading firms in the world for the better half of a decade now. Um, so we can really help lay that foundation to make sure you're getting the most out of these tools, you're doing the best practices, in addition to having the very best possible tool for the problem. Um, but where we see, to answer your question, three areas where people see the most application for this, it's when they're exploring different things. So it's in the R&D phase. It's about failing fast learning fast, making sure when you try a new model, you pull some open source uh, uh, out of GitHub or you're, you're uh, re-implementing a paper from NeurIPS or whatever it may be, um, that you're really getting the best version of that model and you're doing that experimentation in a repeatable way, in a scalable way, um, and you're comparing the gold standard to gold standard. Um, and this can really help when trying new things out, failing fast and learning fast. Mm -hmm. Scale is closer to that automation that you were talking about before where we're plugging into, into larger platforms where maybe behind the scenes uh, experimentation and optimization is happening. Um, we see this across large credit card firms, streaming services, et cetera, where um, there's a tool in place to leverage large infrastructure, large data sets and things like that. And this is just a way to, to get an extra order of magnitude or two savings from traditional um, experimentation approaches. So it's plugged in in the background it's about incremental performance across the board, kind of having this rising tide effect to the, the line of business metrics. Um, and the final position, which is actually an area where a lot of people naturally go to when they think about experimentation optimization, is after they've applied all of they can in the data, in the model, in the computation, how do they squeeze out performance that would otherwise be left on the table? Um, this is how a lot of the algorithmic trading firms use us. Um, this is how some of the most advanced teams in the world use us. It's about saying, we've already invested so much, but we think we can get more. Um, and it's that additive boost on performance that, that really uh, drives value to them. So learning and failing fast at the beginning, scaling up to all the problems in the middle, and then taking your most sophisticated models and, um, and really making sure you get the most out of them. And we have lots of use cases with customers where they've saved a bunch of time across massive uh, data science teams uh, in that R&D phase. Um, this one global technology consulting firm saved 30% for their client engagements, uh, whereas otherwise wasted reinventing the wheel every time they had to do optimization. Um, a large streaming service um, that we all know and love um, 
being able to boost uh, some of the, the platforms that go into training their, their massive uh, models that go into the recommendation system. Um, two firms like Two Sigma with hundreds of brilliant quant researchers who are experts in their domain, tens of billions of dollars of assets under management, but it's about taking what they've built and providing this augmented additive boost on top of it to really get them the best possible performance. And we see this across the board um, for these extremely advanced teams. Cool, cool. Well, Scott, thanks so much for uh, hanging out with me here and walking me through the demo. And this is gonna be one of the very first Twimmel demo casts. I hope it is a format that folks like. Definitely reach out and uh, let me know, let Scott know what you thought. I'm sure I'll see you soon, Scott. Definitely, and thank you for the uh, the code review mid uh, recording. I should should have listened to you. <laughs> Next time, I won't code something up that we're recording half an hour beforehand. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.